Reporting is Eligible is proudly supported by Appleton Coffee Company. They're a small local roaster in Appleton, Wisconsin, and I make a pot of their Packerland breakfast blend just about every morning. I also have a very large bag of the barrel-aged coffee that I enjoy on the weekends. If you go to appletoncoffee.com and use code RAE at checkout, you'll save yourself 10% and you will support the show. Once again, that's appletoncoffee.com, code RAE at checkout. Hey everybody, welcome to Reporting is Eligible. Um, I am Paul Noonan, right for Acme Packing Company, Shepherd Express, um, etc. Do the baseball podcast. Um, this is the episode uh, between the Steelers and the Bengals. Uh, for my money, the least exciting week of the season because I hate the AFC North, I've decided. Uh, real quick, before we intro people and get going, um, if you uh, do not follow the baseball podcast, you should know quickly that Ryan Top, my co-host on the baseball podcast, possesses a cursed baseball that he uh, caught off of the bat of Yadier Molina of the Cardinals. And ever since he caught it, things have been going terribly, so he's going to destroy it later this week if um, enough people donate to the Hunger Task Force of Milwaukee. So if you want to do that and make Ryan blow up his baseball, and I certainly do and I have donated, um, go and make a donation, screenshot your receipt, and send it on Twitter to Ryan, that's already top, and Steve Garshinsky, the former host of that podcast, you can find him, or and me, I'll make sure he gets it. But uh, it's to a good cause, and honestly... Um, it like kind of coincided with De- Devin Williams punching a wall, so um, I want that thing dead as as dead as can be. So anyway, that's enough of that. Um, on to football, and joining me as always in urban Wauwatosa, we have. Hey, it's J.R. Radcliffe, trending sports reporter for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. I feel like now is the time for superstition in the baseball season because you get to the playoffs and there's no real method to the madness. There's no stats that can truly tell you what's going to happen. Needed a new so, uh, jersey, so I got this guy uh, off of eBay for nothing. It, Yes, Ricky Weeks jersey. Uh, Ricky Weeks jersey off of eBay. That's perfect. You got to get crazy. In it's the, the All Star Packers... jersey. It's orange. It's ugly. Ooh, I love it. Ricky Weeks is one All Star appearance. Yep. I love it. Um, in the Packers season, we may not be there yet. This is not quite the uh, the where we start to get mystical. So, uh, <laughs> but but uh, anyway, I I did I introduce myself. I did. There will be no surprise Matub drop in fifteen minutes into this podcast. That was that was quite the reveal last week. Uh, we we promise. So good. We're not going to try to reset our own record here. Uh, he he did have to show up a little late last week, so that's how we played it. This week, I don't think he's coming at all. So I think I think we're not. You don't you don't need to expect Matub on, on short notice. Here. Yeah, he's not going to show up and surprise you. It's it's not a Halloween trick or anything like that. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it, not yet. It's just us. Although you never you never know. <laughs> you never can tell. It, it's true. You never know. So the the Green Bay Packers are three and one, Paul, which yeah. uh, which would normally be good. I don't know why. I just don't feel I, it's the Jair Alexander injury. Yeah, it's is why. that. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 it's hard to feel good right now. It really is. Like I don't. Two of the three teams they've beaten, I'm not convinced are like real satisfying wins. And then Jair Alexander is broken. In addition to their pass rush being broken. In addition to one of their top three receivers being broken. Like now, talked about how last week they weren't they were injured, but not so injured compared to other teams. 
okay, I don't feel that way anymore. Now yeah, I feel like the Packers are bitten pretty badly. Yep, I, I think this is where attrition starts to break you a little bit. So I agree with you on that. I mean, they, they, they managed to battle through the offensive line injuries. They didn't seem that impacted by MVS being gone. But um, Jair Alexander's a whole other thing. He is, I think, certainly the most important player on the defense. He just allows you to do so much more, and it's just really, really bad to see him go. And it really exposes how light they are in terms of their depth in the secondary. Because it, it's not, I mean, I'm sure, but I'm sure we'll talk about Kevin King a lot on this podcast. Sorry in advance. We uh, have to. Eh, a little bit at least, not maybe not a ton, but like, it's not just Kevin King has to play more. It's like everybody behind those like Stokes and King just have issues like Chandon's been fine in the slot they'll probably continue to be fine in the slot but like who else is going to be outside KB Anento is probably going to get elevated from the practice squad um uh, Yadam is probably going to play and he's just a special teams guy who's a good run support cornerback and I think it's Yadam I'm uh, not even positive about that, but I'm pretty sure it's Yadam as often as always I don't know how to pronounce anybody's name <laughs> rhymes with Adam yeah Isaac Yadam. We we made a lot of it doesn't really okay. We made a lot of you dumb puns in Acme Packing Company Slack, so that's how I learned to say it. But uh, you're probably how about there. yeah dumb yeah, dumb, yeah, dumb, dumb 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 yeah. So it, it's it's bad. Um, and it, it really like the whole season kind of depends on it because they can get by without Jair for a couple weeks here, I think. But uh, they're going to hit a hard part of the season in the not too distant future, and if he's not there, it's just hard to see him winning. So it's good that they've won and look pretty good and competent in a lot of ways doing it. But uh, it, it's just terrible to lose one of your like five best players at any time. And other than Aaron, probably the may, maybe more irreplaceable than Aaron, because who knows? Maybe Jordan Love's actually OK. There's nobody behind Jared Alexander you could say that for. Um, it's it's not a good situation. So, yeah, yeah, bad. Just get that out of the way early. It's bad. It's Weak, not good. Weakest part of the roster, weakest part of the roster. And um so I wrote a little at jsonline.com about what an AC joint separation means. It's uh, it, it's a pretty wide, there, there, there's just such a wide variety of degrees to this. And there are some guys, many guys who can just keep playing through it. There's a grade one, grade one. This is basically a separated shoulder. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's just a fancy word for it, essentially a bunch of fancy, fancy words, but like shoulder was separated. Let's not, let's not, you know, sugarcoat it. Now, if it's a grade one, you can pretty easily get through it. If it's a grade two, eh, you got to be careful with it. Grade three, it, it, it's bad. Like that's fully torn ligaments. And that's something that's going to take you at best, at best, six weeks. Yep. Well, I shouldn't say at best, but mo most likely you do, if you don't go the surgery route, which the Packers have to pray they don't because yeah. if they do, that's a season ender. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it really, it really probably tops out at six weeks and um, that's, that's gosh, I just don't, I don't know. Even a team like Cincinnati that isn't particularly, I don't know, innovative is probably, they're probably not giving them enough credit, but like <laughs> they're, they're pretty basic, but their receivers are, they, they're going to burn you, you know, yep. Jamar Chase and friends, they're, they're going to light it up. And I don't know what they could possibly do to counteract that. You know, they already didn't have any, but any options on the open market or Isaac Yadam wouldn't be here. You know, he's a guy they brought in because things were going so poorly with Josh Jackson. They had to do something. I mean, Isaac Yadam is already plan B or plan C. This is just, this is just not. <laughs> if that, there's nobody out there on the market either. Uh, the, the Buccaneers just brought in Richard Sherman because they needed a little depth and he got absolutely torched and is definitely um, toasted and should not be playing anymore. And he was one of the better options out there. It's just, it, it, you're going to be doing practice squad fodder as best you can and have yeah. guys in tryout, but they need to add people. They they definitely don't have starting caliber guys. And 
Um, we've seen the Packers undone by this before. We all remember the Ladarius Gunter um, ah. ag- against the Falcons playoff game. And uh, uh, Eric Stokes is better than that. And even Kevin King's better than that. But like, that's the specter that you have to deal with here if you don't have Alexander. Is is the secondary again undoing a, a great season by the offense? Which is not. It's uh, it's really a shame they didn't firm that up a little bit more. And it's not like they didn't try. They they drafted Stokes and Shamar John Charles and um, a King is depth if nothing else. But yeesh, just not looking great. Shout out to Ladarius Gunter, who, who gave it everything he can. He, did. he was just a limited I, guy. Yes, my, and it was not the top draft selection by the team at any point. So, like, he shouldn't be held to the Stokes King standard, but, like, he tried. I, I don't I don't want to be misinterpreted as criticizing Ladarius Gunter. I actually think Ladarius Gunter is a phenomenal story. Um, yeah. Because he is one of the least athletic people ever to play cornerback and actually did it at a really high level for not being fast or shifty at all. Yeah, he was he was okay out there for the most part. Just um, you know, you run into Julio Jones who is the physical opposite of Ladarius Gunter. And there's not really much you can do about that. Uh but but he was he was good, except for, you know, being able to move. <laughs> because Kibion Ento is here, like you mentioned, on the practice squad. He seems like such an obvious elevation. You'd mentioned a couple other options. Kadar Holman is a guy who's played in the secondary here. He's on the Giants practice squad, so technically available. Yeah. And and Casey Hayward, former Packer. He's not available. I just wanted He's to... not available. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just wanted to point out that he was available when they signed Kevin King and you know is excellent and signed for sure. less than kevin king so right I, I i thought maybe you you were implying here that he's gettable he's, you know i they... don't i don't think he's gettable uh, unfortunately yeah. and um i i think I, I do wonder if he would come back to the packers um anyway oh yeah so um there i don't know if there's bad blood there but it's you know it's a little insulting when they don't even offer you a contract and so just wanted, just wanted to throw that out there. Saw, uh, saw some. I, I apologize. Saw, a smart Twitter I follow was posting a list of guys they could have had cheaper than Kevin King, and I didn't even know Casey Hayward was available this offseason. and he was on it. And sure enough, he signed. He signed for cheaper. So, yeesh, not great. But yeah, in, I, in, in fairness, the guy who didn't offer him is no longer no around longer with us. So. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I know, but. But yeah, it's a, it, I, I would totally understand. Yeah. I would totally understand. Absolutely. Um, and I, I do think they should probably go get Kadar Holman from the Giants. He, um, he, he's and everybody hates Kadar Holman except me. I still think he might be pretty good. Um, he's a very he's a physical specimen. It's just all technique with him, and I get why he gets cut. If you watch Kadar Holman film, he kind of moves like Jared Bush. Um, if if everybody remembers, how, Jared Bush was a good Packer um, and a Super Bowl hero. But he just never looked natural out there. He, he was a good physical guy, but he just didn't have the brain for moving like corners have to move. And I kind of feel like Holman's that way, um, just also very fast and a good tackler. So um, he, he can make up for it, and he, it's worth having around and knows the system. So they should go do that. It's not a fix, but it's it's better than nothing. <laughs> Jared Bush, a very smart cat who, yeah, uh, who obviously crafted a role for himself as a special teams ace. Maybe we'll talk about another guy who's a very, very smart guy in Oren Burks, who uh, who also just, I, I don't know. Like, I think we, you can we, put we can talk him about that in later. The, I think that's sort of the Jared Bush camp there is. Yeah. Uh, Oren Burks is very much along those lines, too. A, a, a physical freak who just doesn't quite um, have the smooth, quick movements you expect from a football player and overthinks things a little bit. But in this, playing pretty well in this system. So um, they've found a good role for Oren Burks here. Yeah, we could, the linebackers actually are, are 
okay. I mean, the, the, we can talk the team. Like, yeah, like, <laughs> right? Like, I was, I was, I almost said that and felt that stick in my throat. Like, that can't be right. But with Devondre Campbell playing the way he is right now, that's uh, that's definitely it's at least it's something no you don't have to worry about. At least that's it's not, that's it's fine. good. They're even with even with uh, uh, even with with Chris Barnes hurt. Yep. They're PFF top 10 inside linebackers for whatever reason, and good for them. And I mean, it's hard to even, it, you, you don't believe it because, you know, we've watched the Packers inside linebackers forever, and they're never good, ever. And, you know, we've, we're playing two guys who are not well established as even average players, but they've been really good. Devondre Campbell, especially, has been excellent in this system. So, a, a nice front office job on the inside linebackers this year. Like, really, seriously, well done. I can't believe it. But yeah, every, everywhere else, the places we sort of expect, expected strengths to lie, not not as good. Um, it, uh, right. It's unfortunate. So Jair Alexander is hurt. Marquez Valdez-Scantling is hurt. Yeah. Darius Smith is hurt. Um, Chris Barnes is hurt. Chris Barnes? Chris Barnes is hurt. Um, yeah. He, Preston Smith, he, he, he got that's, hurt. That's where I'm going with this. Oh, Preston right. Smith is hurt. So like, other pass rush is compromised. I mean, Smith returned to the game. And I imagine we'll find out more on Wednesday. We're recording this on Tuesday. We'll yeah. find out more about availability and stuff. But if he can't go, you know, it's, it's basically Rashawn Gary and Kingsley Kiki who played extremely well. He really in this did. Last game. <laughs> uh, but, we, uh, but man. Yeah. It, it, it Without the Smiths, it's just, it's hard to see how this works. I guess that's the main thing. It, it's going to take a big step forward from Gary, who uh, who's at least shown signs that maybe that'll happen. And then just somebody playing out of position, showing up and doing great and hopefully not having Ty Summers on the field too much. Kingsley Kiki looked good, though. At, at least there's that. I mean, it wasn't exactly a murderer's row of Pittsburgh offensive linemen this week, but... No. Um, oh, but, and, and Lord have mercy, Kenny Clark. I mean, he just does... Sorry. That's just my my one time a week. I feel like <laughs> I have to point out that he's incredible. Keep going. Nope. He is absolutely incredible. Um, but uh, at least Kingsley Kiki... You know, we had, we had him as a potential, I think, guy who takes the leap a little bit this year he looked he flashed last year he looked okay so it's good to see him do something he has had kind of a bad camp and a good start to the season so uh, again better than nothing maybe they saw something there that would work out on the edge a little bit but uh without the smiths um yeah it's it's one of those things where if your secondary gets hurt and your pass rush is playing okay you can cover up a lot better you just uh, bring a lot of pressure you use speed up the quarterback's clock you make your corners not have to cover as long. And the opposite is true as well. If your pass rush gets hurt and you have good corners, you can compensate. Having them both go at the same time is just like worst of all worlds possible. Um, if they can't generate any pressure and let guys sit back all day and wait for guys to get open on Kevin King and and Holman or Ento or anybody, that, that's just awful. It's hard. It, I foresee a lot of disasters here. Uh, the offense is going to have to play. Uh, out of their minds, I think, for uh, the time that Jair has gone to keep them in games. Yeah, that might be what we're what we're talking about here. That might be it. Might be a little bit of a shootout. Yeah, twenty eleven all over again. Rest. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, hopefully, that's a short term thing because some of these guys, you would think, uh, you know, you would think Barnes and and Preston Smith are not long term exits. They've been yeah. okay without Zadarius. So as long as some other things are are functional, and maybe we'll get good news that Jair Alexander's injury is only a week or two you know maybe that's it's unlikely but it's possible although you don't like 24 hours going by and then hearing the coach not rule out season ending right. that's that's a tough one that's tough to tough i feel to like if it's minor you know pretty quickly and if mm -hmm. it's not minor 
then it's people start starting to look for well reasons it might still be minor and that never happens so yeah i'm not optimistic about this but nothing's happened yet so there's still at least a possibility that they'll harness him up and he'll be okay in a couple of weeks just really hope so I think the uh, as we can praise the defense, they did play well. Yeah, but but Ben Roethlisberger sucks. He's awful. He's so bad. That arm is toast. Um, it it's he threw some like head scratchers and the fourth down call. Honestly, like I'm mad at him because if the if the fourth down call wasn't so bizarre, Shire Alexander doesn't doesn't make a tackle three three yards behind the line of scrimmage and doesn't wreck his shoulder. Yep, secretly one of the biggest plays of the year was Ben's stupid second game in a row of checking down on fourth down into an impo- like a turnover. Just he What's uh, that? I I I mean, we all have our thing with Ben Roethlisberger, but um he's a tricky one because um I I've, I've been doing a lot of research this week on just old quarterbacks because Brett's get not Brett's geez. Um, Aaron's getting older and people keep saying things to me that quarterbacks now play into their forties, which isn't true. And other than Brady, uh, Ben's the oldest quarterback now at 39 and he's probably done after this year, but you can't really use Ben Roethlisberger as a comp on anybody because he famously is not a workout warrior at all. He doesn't take good care of himself. He's kind of a party animal. He, um, you know, he's taking just a billion hits cause he's a giant doofus who just stands there in the pocket and, has guys bounce off him. So, like, if you want to figure out what what's going to happen to Aaron, you, you can't use Ben Roethlisberger as a comp. They're completely different people. And nobody else is old anymore. Um, after Roethlisberger, it's Rodgers. And then it's a bunch of, like, 33-year-old guys and Andy Dalton. If you want to count Andy Dalton as a starter, he's, I think, the next oldest after Rodgers. But uh, th- after that, it's Russell Wilson and That's Matthew. That's wild. Yeah, after that, it's Russell Wilson and Matthew Stafford, who are, I think, 33 uh and, uh, Dang. Yeah, and breeze you saw breeze like he he retired a year late right yeah I mean, he was washed pretty much too he was a little bit better off than ben is now but this is this is the future guys like you hope you hope not you hope not you're hoping against what's re- right in front of you most players most quarterbacks don't make it to 40 only six have played into their 40s in the last 25 years and only a couple of those guys are recent it's brady and breeze uh other than that it's Favre, um warren moon uh <laughs> a couple of couple couple other old guys i can't remember who weren't any good so um it it really doesn't happen that much and ben is showing the typical 40 year old washed sign though you know he's kind of earned it the way he played the game but they should they're they're screwed they uh they should have taken a quarterback earlier and didn't and now they don't have anybody good and the class is bad um this this is not a good um suck for a quarterback class this year maybe two years down the line Pittsburgh's got a bad future in front of them here. It's going to be is, it's going to be a rough one. This is the tough thing about the NFL because you, like you said it, he has earned it. I mean, he's he's if we're talking about just his on-field acumen. Yeah. This isn't even a guy who has shown off-field acumen like Drew Brees did, you know? <laughs> like imagine if he'd wanted to come back this next year, you know, the Saints like they they would look cold for just moving on and it's it's the, the Packers have taken a lot of heat over the years for being so quick to move on, but you get Pittsburgh if you're unca- incapable of telling your quarterback, we need to go in another direction. We need to start drafting and develop, you know, drafting your replacement three years ago. We need to have them in waiting. You know, we need to be prepared to move on. And that's, you know, I, I realize people are still going to hold it against the Packers for essentially ushering Aaron Rodgers out. I still, part of me still thinks that this isn't the last year of Aaron yeah. Rodgers in Green Bay. That seems naive and unrealistic, but it's still kind of there for me. <laughs> but this is why you have to be aggressive because you wind up in these situations. And certainly the, the, the Saints, 
you know, they did two days. The Saints had a good year last year. I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like they sucked. They didn't, they had, a, they had a nice year, but yeah, Breeze was good for most of last year too. His arm didn't really die till later in the year. And right, if it right, doesn't right. die, it's very possible. They make a Super Bowl. They, they were very good against um, the Buccaneers in the regular season and had an excellent defense. It's just yeah. when you get the quarterback that old, sometimes stuff just goes on you. And that's what happened to drew. Um, right. It, just very unfortunate and very bad timing. <laughs> but they also, I mean, and Jameis Winston is an interesting plan D, but they, they don't have a guy waiting for, you know, I guess Taysom Hill. I, I don't know. What no, he's Taysom terrible. Hill. I don't know what they but, think they're doing over there. Did you see him yeah. this weekend? Did, yeah. Did you, see the, <laughs> yeah. did you see the interception he threw directly after Jameis had one called back for pass interference? Just, I he, why do they? You're not hearing a lot of the clamoring from Packer Nation anymore. You notice yeah. that there isn't as much about Taysom Hill. He had a nice power run, but he's just a bad quarterback. It just he's... yeah, he's a he's a fullback or something. Like he's not built like that, but he's I don't know. He can do <laughs> some things, but he ain't quarterbacking, ain't it? Nope. Um. Okay. So going to the offensive side of the ball, you you have been high on what you've seen from Randall Cobb pretty early on, like that you thought that he was going to contribute after like a game or two, even though we all went into the season, assuming he was just going to, you know, be a guy on the roster and not necessarily somebody who contributed, but the, the proficiency on third down really slays me. I think it was it five of his six catches were third down conversions. And the sixth was his one yard touchdown or yep. something like that. That's right. He is a DVOA efficiency stud so far. And I think what you're seeing with him is, you know, he still has enough athleticism to, to be a, a threat to get, to get himself open. He runs really good routes and it, it is, I think, beneficial for Aaron Rodgers to have a chemistry guy. Um, if, if, thinking back to when they had Jordy Nelson, it's not just that Jordy was an outstanding receiver, because he was, but even when his athleticism left him, he was always the guy when Aaron's in trouble, he knows where he's going to be, and he trusts him to catch even contested balls. Rand, the one worry I have about Randall is he's taken some big hits so far, even though he hasn't been targeted that much. Um but it's uh, it's nice to have that. Like Devonte is good at catching the ball off the line, um, you know, on design plays. It's certainly somebody you can rely on. But I think Cobb and um, Cobb and Rogers sort of have that um, that sort of extra level of ESP where when stuff completely breaks down, he's able to go there. And it is nice to have that. It's a, it's been a big positive for the team so far and converted a whole saved a bunch of drives. Like Randall Cobb has absolutely saved a bunch of scoring drives from that otherwise maybe wouldn't have happened. So it, yeah. it's impressive. I didn't think he had this much in him, uh, honestly. I thought we might get the driver final season where he's a cheerleader and that might be it. But, no, he's been really good. Rodgers talked after the game and specifically mentioned the, how nice it is to have somebody who understands the slot receiver position as somebody who's just done it <laughs> for a long time. And, you know, I don't know if that's code for somebody who understands me, Aaron Rodgers, as like when, when things break down, where I'm going. But I, I found that interesting. I mean, obviously that's something Cobb's been doing his whole career. And, you know, maybe that's something that in particular that Rodgers is able to focus on, especially because like, I don't know if we've seen a lot on the outsides this year. We haven't seen, you know, Lazard is a blocking phenom, but he hasn't been there for <laughs> more than a couple catches. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, we haven't seen much from him either. So, like, it's either Adams, who, who doesn't do a lot on the on the perimeter. He, we, he's had a couple catches like that for sure, but, you know, he's not he's not the guy who sprints down the sideline. Like, maybe this is just where Rodgers is, is comfortable right now. And yeah. Clearly, clearly, that was the case against Pittsburgh. I do also wonder if that is a little bit of a dig because the Packers haven't had a true slot for a couple of years now. They, they use a big slot like Alan Lazard, who is primarily a blocker and not that shifty in space guy. And I do think that Rodgers may 
just appreciates the shifty in space guy a little bit more for his own benefit, even if it's not what Matt likes to do. Um, so it's working. So it's good that it's working. If it wasn't, I wonder if it might be a little bit of a point of contention. But um, you know, they haven't really had this as part of the offense. It, it's a role that is played by um, Bob Tanyan for the most part. Um, and with with Cobb there, it's it's been very effective. So it, I'm, I'm glad to see it. Can't yeah. like it. Aaron Jones is interesting right now because ground game probably isn't full, fully locked in at this point. It seems like, he, I don't know. seems like he's just not as good maybe on, on real grass. Like he, I feel like in domes, <laughs> it, it seems like it's just, I, I don't know what it is with him, but receiving wise, the guy has been really valuable. And I mean, you, you say he's one of the best in, at this point, one of the best running, running backs in the league at that department, right? Yeah. So in DVOA, he ranks uh, fourth behind uh, Corderell Patterson, who's not a running back. He's you right. know, whatever he is. Kyle Juszczyk. Having a renaissance with the Falcons. Holy oh, yeah. Good, good job by the Falcons on Corderell pa- Patterson, by the way. Everybody they figured out how to use them. Everybody's always been like, why doesn't anybody figure out how to use him properly? And somebody finally did. And it actually is really good to do. Uh, he was really a, a player ahead of his time. Um, it, like Christian McCaffrey is third on this list is how you should use Cordero Patterson. <laughs> like it, it's not a mystery anymore. You just had to get him on the right team. Um, so it's McCaffrey, Patterson, and Kyle Juszczyk who are the, the leaders in DVOA. Juszczyk is always one of the leaders. He's just good at getting to the sticks. Um, but Jones is not usually a receiving phenom and he looks way better this year out of the backfield than he ever has before in, in just getting into open space very quickly. By the way, I urge everybody, if you watch replays, if you have the ability to go do it on YouTube, just go watch Randall or go watch Aaron Jones run a pattern. He is sprinting full on out of the backfield when he knows he's going into the into the secondary. It is uh, you'll see a lot of running backs who are just doing like leak outs as safety valves, just kind of jog out there. And Jones is not doing that at all. He's really committed to getting into his route fast, and it's actually really impressive to watch him do it. Um, and he's been great in in small space down down the sideline. Like he he has been a phenomenal receiver in the passing game, which is good because he is he has struggled in the running game so far. Um, it, he's not terrible. It's not like he's killing them. Um, but uh, usually Aaron Jones is like a DVOA star, and he is down the board a bit to start off the season. It's early, and that can change. But he's also down on um, rushing yards over expected and advanced stat they keep on next gen stats. And that stat was actually um, the result of the NFL's big data bowl for the most predictive stat for running back success. And now they post it on the site. So it uh, it predicts how a running back will do better than anything else does, like just rushing yards and yards per carry and things like that. And basically just crunches numbers as to how many yards an average back would get given the blocking and the situation and things like that. And it puts you on a plus minus over that. And Aaron usually kills that stat and hasn't this year. Uh, by the way, a guy who kills that stat even more than Aaron is Jamal Williams, who is oh, yeah. again one of the top in it, um, as he always is. So, but Aaron's still contributing, and hey, at least we got a good AJ Dillon game for the first time this year. So, not all do was you, lost on the ground. Do you think it's possible they chose wrong? Uh, given that Jamal Williams would be much cheaper, uh, I do think they chose wrong. But I'm uh, people, mm. everybody thinks I'm crazy. I'm. I, I would not have paid Aaron Jones has paid too much. Like I, I like yeah. Aaron Jones a lot. He, I think he's a great running back and he's been a weapon this year. Yeah. I don't, I also don't really care that he struggled running the ball that much because whatever he does receiving is far more valuable. So it's not like he's not giving them value. It's just, it's a lot to pay a running back. Jamal Williams is also very good cost way less. And they have, I think two decent running backs behind him. So it's, um, you know, could he use some of that Aaron Jones money on another corner? Maybe would be look okay mm. right now. Um, oh Yeah. 
But well, at least in terms speaking of teams figuring out how to use people, I feel like we're getting there with AJ Dillon too. It seems like they're finding the right spots for him. Right? Yep. He was really good in this game, and um, a couple of like really really good highlight reel runs. Maybe the Packers' longest run of the year uh, in this game from for AJ, I think. Um, and and looked like the power back we all expect. It will be interesting to see how he does against a little bit stouter competition, but this is exactly what you want from him. Change of pace, power back, still with speed. And oh, by the way, uh, also we should point out, he had a nice catch on a sideline route too. With showed some very soft hands. Uh, I think the Packers worked really hard on that. I mean, Aaron Jones has come a long way with his receiving, and at least they do appreciate that it is important. It really helps your running if you can be out there and catch the ball against lighter defenses and be a threat that way. And, and he did that. But yeah, it was he really powered through the middle. He ran much better than he had at any point this season. So um, hopefully that continues too. You know, it's early. And all the stuff that everybody struggled with in the first three games, it, it's such a small sample size. Like, it can turn around on a dime. We might look, you know, eight weeks from now, and A.J. Dillon might be ripping off five yards of carry like nothing, and Aaron Jones might be doing the same, and this all won't matter anymore. You know, I was rattling off those injuries earlier and I neglected at any point to mention the two best offensive linemen are missing, which <laughs> which I think normally would be the headline here. But but that's now two games in a row where they've held their own against yeah. one of the more elite pass rushers in the game of football. Now, I was reading our our own analysis at JS online or PackersNews.com um, looking at Billy Turner's role in stopping TJ Watt from getting to the quarterback. And TJ Watt does get credit for two sacks in this game, Just but neither the terrible, terrible sacks. Um, yeah. Like he was in the area when, when Roger slid for one of them and for another, he basically committed a tripping penalty that, that yeah. they flagged and then decided now nah, we're good. <laughs> not sure what was going on there, but like Billy Turner was the guy who held him in check and not Yash Nyman, who, who obviously was tasked with stopping Nick Bosa against San Francisco 49ers. So yep. I don't understand. Understand that why why would you be attacking the one veteran guy on the line it's it's literally like all rookies and and, and billy turner right yeah so I, what are they doing I, I i don't know what their strategy was going at the one they're all they're all pretty good so it's not like i, I was gonna yeah, say competent oh, I but i i guess maybe a you could maybe make a case that billy turner turner is one of the more vulnerable guys, even though he is a veteran, um, especially against a, a speed guy. Uh, sure. Watt's plenty powerful too, but he is a, one of the fastest pass rushers in the league. Um, and it might be as simple as that. Uh, when you look up and down the line, you maybe just decide that Billy Turner is one of the weakest guys there. And you know, on the blind side too, it's also strategically valuable to come from that direction. Sure. Uh, you know, If Aaron can see you, he has the ability to avoid the sack himself. So it might be as simple as that, but I am surprised they didn't test all of the young offensive linemen a little bit more than they did. Certainly what I would have done. Um, it, there's a lot of an experience there, and nobody's seen a Watt before. So um, it, it was a weird decision. But Pittsburgh is a bit of a weird team. They're a little bit backwards. Um, their defense is good, but I do think they're the kind of franchise that kind of does things their way and um, expects it to work when they just execute correctly, more so than picking out weaknesses. It's a old school thing and it does not serve them well all the time. I gotta be honest. I didn't even know Melvin Ingram was on this team until I heard him on the radio call. <laughs> they have so many name guys they on do. that defense. Many of whom like Joe Hayden, many of whom are not what they were, but still like they are just the, the professors at finding guys you've heard of on defense and, and pumping them out there. And you know, like they, they got, they got some great players, but. It is kind of their MO to to uh, get those reclamation projects and find roles for them and fix them up. And they do actually do a pretty good job with it most of the time. Um, but uh, 
uh, it also has an expiration date, and I think they're starting to hit it a little bit. They stayed very healthy last year, had an outstanding defense pretty much all year, and eventually injuries did come for them a little bit, and they uh, they were suffering quite a few in this game too. Especially, yeah. uh, I mean, J- Watt played, but he was and well, but he was a little bit dinged, and they were missing some other guys on the line too. Yeah. All right. So the biggest play of the game happens shortly before the first half ends, and man, the Packers got a call. They and did. Pretty much, pretty much everyone believes that the ball was snapped before everybody started rushing, and and it, possibly that they lined up offsides, but that that wasn't necessarily made clear if that's what the ruling was. Pittsburgh, of course, called for offsides. The kick is blocked. Mika Fitzpatrick runs it back for a touchdown instead of the instead of what, what it would have been what a seventeen thirteen lead. Yeah, was is it that right? Was it Mika or was it Hayden? I thought didn't Mika block it and Hayden returned it. Is that? Uh, that could be. Yes, uh, Mika was involved. I, I've already Mika was them up. I, yeah. He was definitely involved. I know that. I think he got the block and Hayden got the return. Sure. But it I've already scrambled matter. the name defenders on this team in my head. <laughs> uh, but but in any event, it should have been a touchdown. And it should have been a missed field goal. Instead, the Packers got to reset to kick the field goal. And, uh, you know, that's obviously a key margin in the game. It, it was a 10-point game. So that's a, that's the swing. <laughs> um, yeah, Packers Packers got a break, man. I, I, don't, I don't know any other way to look at it. I feel extra bad about this because last week I – talked about penalties a lot maybe it was two weeks ago and Boger was the and I, I said like well offsides and uh you know false starts they, they don't really impact things that much they, yeah. they barely ever missed them <laughs> and uh, it's hard to imagine a bigger missed call like you don't get straight up 10 point swings in a football game that much and right. and that is that is exactly what this was and and uh the I, I am wrong by the way make you were right make a blocked it and ran it back I, I remember Joe Hayden because he got called for the penalty uh, that is why his name appears in the box score here, but uh, yeah, yeah it, it was it was the biggest play of the game. It was a ten point difference. It would have made the game much much closer, uh, much better for Pittsburgh, who is not good at coming from behind with Ben's arm. And uh, it, it it might be overstating it to say they won it, but uh, I, like penalties like that are few and far between, <laughs> and just killer on what should be a really basic call. Like it's a bad screw up for the the refs in the NFL. If our Pittsburgh fan, I would be beside myself, angry about it. There, there was a little movement of the ball from the snap that I, I feels like might have played a role. Like there was just a little kind of nose up thing before he actually snaps the ball, but it's all in the act of snapping the ball. Yeah. And I, I, I don't, I don't know if the, the ref didn't see that movement or or what. But we should uh, also mention that in his post game presser. Uh, Matt LaFleur was not happy about this play, was not outwardly conceding that there was no offsides, but was essentially doing so, and mentioned that they have to change up their snap count on field goals and that they were actually lined up, I think, a little bit wide is what he said. But uh, that's it's not a good look for for Maurice Drayton's crew, who seem to not be good at the little things. Um, So it's, it's not it's not great. We were hoping to see improved special teams this year and just not happening. It seems well, to bite them every week. Well, this is the second week in a row that a special teams play could have made. I mean, remember, we're a fingernail away from Mason Crosby getting blocked yeah. from the same part of the line that Mason Crosby was legitimately blocked until it was overturned uh, here in this game. And that, that could have easily been the biggest play of the game both days. And that's that's not that's 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 bad. Yeah, and, you bad. know, I don't know four four games is quite enough to judge Marie Straten, but it's not nothing. That's not a, that's not the tiniest of samples. And quite honestly, I think you could point to a special teams 
I mean, maybe the first game, who cares? Like everything sucked, yeah. but you kind of point to some special teams hiccups kind of every, every, every game here. Yeah, you really can. It's, it's been quite bad and they really need to get that firmed up. And I'm, I'm just not sure uh, the specific problems they keep having, which are, are just little things that other teams exploit um, just keep happening. And uh, I, we need we needed Alan Lazard to pull people aside again and and go take over for blocking like he did last week, but uh, yeah. not this time. I love how Alan Lazard gets like all of his blocks are in the frame. Like he's just, he just knows like how to he just knows where the camera is when he's blowing up a guy. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he is he's definitely the lead blocker on that team. He does some incredible. Should stuff. start putting together an Alan Lazard block of the week clip because he had a block this week where he took out three guys in one block and it was incredible. And I'll try I'll try and find it and post it on Twitter. I was looking at it for today and I ran out of time. All twenty two will be better anyway, so that's fine. But uh, yeah, he he is he, he is really something special um in all parts of the game that aren't receiving and he's a good receiver too but he really seems to enjoy knocking people down <laughs> uh, it's uh also is a joy to see everybody should watch alan lazard all the time yeah not a lot of tunyon in this game nope. which uh, surprised me because they took away Devonte adams or at least tried to that was sort of the, the emphasis of, of pittsburgh's defense um so kind of they, they you know randall cobb randall cobb was the guy who picked up the slack so that's uh that's a big reason why they won this game. Yep, Randall Cobb and Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones had uh, a great receiving game. Uh, four targets, three catches, 51 yards. Did damage with all of his catches. Uh, not just leaks out of the backfield. Looked really good doing it. So he was crucial to their win. Otherwise, I don't think they get it done. And uh, yeah, A.J. Dillon had one for 16. That's a uh, very very good good showing from him, too. So the, the Bengals confused me. They, they took care of the Steelers quite nicely, which makes perfect sense yeah. now, but they, they are three and one, but they lost to the Bears like with without Justin Fields. So I'm not entirely sure what to make of them. I would say I, I, I looked at them before the season as definitely a team on the rise in that division going into the year. It's different now, but going into the year, they would have been seen as the fourth of four teams. But at this point, I think you have to consider that they're better than people think. And Joe Burrow is fine, you know, not superstar level yet, but fine. So I don't I don't know what to make of it, but I'd be very worried about the Packers going into going into Cincinnati right now. Yeah, I, I don't think they're very good, and their schedule is very light so far. It's Jaguars, Bears, um, I think Vikings, Lions. Is that anyway? It's all bad teams. So I just named a bunch of bad teams. I know they, they had the Jaguars game on Thursday last week. They they're the cause of Urban Meyer's demise, um, and um, they their stats are all pretty good because they played nobody, and it's hard to adjust for these kinds of things, but. Got a couple things that we can point to. Um, one of which is uh, Joe Burrow's stats are really out of whack on the two big advanced stats, which is Ben Baldwin's um, EPA per play and CPOE uh, com- combination. There's no good name for it. I hate it. We need to come up with a good name for it. And DVOA. In DVOA, he's really good. And that's because DVOA doesn't adjust yet. So it doesn't know that he played a, one, a, a bunch of garbage. It's too early to adjust. It's just adding noise if you adjust right now. Um, and the other one... Um, is I think just picking up on the fact that uh, he is a bit of a checkdown artist at this point and is not drumming up big plays every yard, even though he's been very efficient doing so. Um, so uh, it, it, the truth is probably somewhere in between. But here's what we know about the Bengals, and we're pretty sure about um, those receivers are pretty good. Uh, that we know for sure. Um, uh, Jamar Chase looks excellent. He looks like he was a, a good first round pick. Um, T. Higgins is good. Um, uh, other guy who I'm forgetting the name of is good. Um, but their their offensive line, I'll look it up in a second. I was uh, Taylor Tyler Boyd. Is that right? Yeah, whatever. Um, yeah. Their offensive line is is garbage. It, it um it was bad last year. They they put a few elderly band aids on it. Um, it's already been injured, 
And <laughs> well, it, it, they basically they had a problem last year. They didn't address the problem. The problem got their first round quarterback killed. He tore his ACL last year. They could have drafted Penesul. They went with Jamar Chase. It's not like it's a bad pick, um, but they did have two pretty good young receivers already, and they really could have used a left tackle. They didn't pick one, and the, um, basically Joe Burrow's been getting sacked on 9% of his dropbacks so far this year. So the, the recipe for beating them is pretty easy. You pressure Joe Burrow, and uh, you'll, you'll usually win the game. The problem with the Packers having this game is they're not set up well to exploit that weakness. Uh, you know, they have Rashawn Gary and Kenny Clark, and they're going to have to play really well. But uh, the Packers don't have the corners to cover everybody. T. Higgins, I think, missed last week. He is expected to play this week, so they should have their full complement to guys. And uh, it's going to be hard. Uh, the green, the Packers secondary is going to have some rough players out there covering pretty good receivers for the whole game. It's not great. Uh, I, I hate the matchup, even though I don't think they're a very good team. And if the Packers lose this game, I won't be that surprised. But, uh, it's uh, not my favorite. Hmm. Yeah, we're going to pull in the name C.J. Uzoma. Yes. Uh, among others. But uh, yeah, the, I, I, I want to say that facing off with a bad offensive line this week, the Packers did a, did well. I mean, Rashawn Gary had a really good game, but it doesn't feel like they overwhelmed that team. No, it doesn't. Uh, so so that might be a concern because if Preston Smith is out, even the pass rush we saw this past week is going to be compromised a little bit. Um What's the Joe Mixon situation? He's going to play? He's it, not going to play. It's go. It's been back and forth, and I've only been paying attention to this because of fantasy football. But oh, okay. um, he missed. He missed last week. Um, I think he has an ankle, and he. The, the, the people are going back and forth on if he's actually going to play this week. This is going to be one of those where we'll have to wait and see if he practices on Friday. Um, and it, it, he's kind of a double-edged sword because Joe Mixon's a really good running back. Um, he he does very good on rushing over expected. By the way, he's a good sabermetric running back as well. Um, but if you're the Packers, you almost kind of want him to play because, um, Samaj Perrine, well, Samaj Perrine's not good, but if, if Joe, if Joe Mixon's in the game, they'll run the ball more than they should. And I can tell you this because I saw the stat today. The, the Bengals are the team that runs the most in situation neutral. Um, well, that, I got myself in trouble here in neutral situations. Um, they run 11% more than expected in neutral situations, that's too much running, especially for a team with a, a you know up-and-coming good quarterback and good receivers. They get Joe Burrow in some bad situations. Even Joe Mixon's like good. He averages 4.3 yards per carry, but sometimes he runs for two yards on first down, and then they have to throw for eight, and Joe gets killed. Um, if Perrine plays, they're much less likely to grind this out. They're much more likely to start passing a little bit more. And I don't think that helps the Packers. Uh, it, it, the Packers are actually pretty good against the run. Like, that's Devondre Campbell's thing right now. They've actually done okay there. And I think the way to beat the Packers, if Jair's not there, is to throw it as much as possible. And if Mixon's not there, I think the Bengals kind of get forced into being smarter than they otherwise would be. So I don't like that. And uh, I, I hope Mixon plays for that reason. I would like him to get, like, 25 carries and... Um, restrict the amount of passes that they're throwing to Kevin King. That's my big fear of this game. Two thoughts. I, mean, I, I believe Samaj Perrine is the guy who uh, eclipsed Melvin Gordon's rushing single game rushing record after one week. He is. That's that's ridiculous. We don't like Samaj. Took Perrine. took him four quarters though. So 
Oh, sure. Fine. That's true. So, uh, so of course, of course, Melvin Gordon was playing Nebraska and did not need to play a fourth quarter. That's correct. Uh, but, uh, but the other thing is that I'm kind of getting excited for this game. Now this is going to be fun because it's going to be a lot of offense. The Cincy secondary is not going to be able to slow down Aaron Rodgers. Nope. I don't think the Packers secondary is going to have a great day against those receivers. So uh, I'm starting to think we're, we're talking 45, 38 territory here. I'm, I'm starting to feel the good vibes, especially after these two baseball games, Friday, Saturday, I could be really sad or really amped emotional <laughs> either way. So there's going to be uh, oh. I, I'm look. I need, I need some offense in my life. I can't do another. This game was, this game was boring. The Steelers game, like not, not boring in a bad way. It was just, oh, it was it just didn't inspire anything. It seemed to move slowly. I, I, I hate when that happens more than anything. There were a lot of stoppages and stuff like that. I think you're right about this game. Uh, the Bengals also in this early season, not good against number one receivers have been routinely torched by them. It's a good Devonte game. The only thing they've been really good at is slot receivers, where they rank third. So perhaps Randall struggles a little bit, but they're kind of weak against everything else. And I don't think that there's no reason that the Packers would struggle scoring points on them. It should be a big old shootout, which should be fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to it for that, too. I'm, I'm just a little worried that they're going to win that shootout. <laughs> if they had Jair, I would take them in a heartbeat in this game. I think that makes all the difference. Um, but uh, this really does even it up a little bit from a talent perspective. Yeah. MBS gave a, a little cryptic tweet when it was unveiled that he was going to be out for the Steelers game sort of midweek. I don't know if that was news to him or something along those lines, but I'll be interested to see how he's doing here in terms of health when the uh, the injury reports start rolling around Wednesday. And uh, obviously Jair, Jair is top of mind. Jair, Jair, yeah. Jair. That, that, without without him, this the season outlook is is different. It just yep, is. It is. It's it's really a Super Bowl contender versus a you know, good, but probably also ran team. That's, that's what Jair means to this team. Yeah. All right. Before we got to get to questions, but a couple things uh, you wanted to touch on the Bears started uh, fields, of course, gave them a good game plan and, uh, and, and they won. So, so now they're going to go back to Andy Dalton. <laughs> yep. It's what they do. They're, they're so stupid. I, the Bears are just the gift that keeps on giving. And uh, also our good friend, David Montgomery, who I feel bad. He's hurt. So I feel bad about this. I don't like to see guys get hurt, but he's going to be up for four to five weeks. And worth mentioning, David Montgomery was playing really well, whether it was Fields or Dalton out there and uh, really carrying the Bears whenever they were struggling. By the way, the Bears are two and two. They're far from hopeless. Like We make fun of them a lot, but they did manage to uh, beat the Bengals and then beat the Lions. It's not, again, not a great strength of victory here, but... They're not. But you, they could have easily lost to the Lions. That's, they, they that's not. Un... And they're not out of this yet. You know, if with some competent stuff and luck, they could maybe get back into this. There's an extra playoff team this year, but oh, they they keep shooting themselves in the foot a little bit. And David Montgomery, who was just picking up and playing really well, is now going to miss some time. He does not have a good backup. Um, they don't have any good running backs behind him. They are, he is a workhorse for them. They're old school that way. And yeah, the Bears are Bears are in a bit of a hurting spot right now. Um, yeah, and uh, how about the how about the Lions where all their best players are like are like Wisconsin adjacent athletes <laughs> like uh, you know Jamal Williams, Quintez Cephas who went to Wisconsin, Amon Ross St. Brown who's whose who's brother is now on the active <laughs> roster and had a bad game yeah. by the way. Equinemius, not being great. Equinemius oh, was goodness. not good in that game. Committed a crucial penalty. Um, did not do anything receiving. Not a good special teams day for him. Not bad. But yeah, um, Jamal Williams is like the Lions' best player. He keeps having excellent lines. It's really something <laughs> to see. And Cephas was really good against the Bears. Um, actually, 
like a illegitimate good line. Often he is like a, just a volume warrior where he gets 12 targets and catches like five of them for 70 yards, and that's not good. He was good in this game, and Amon Ra was good too. They might maybe have something brewing there a little bit, but uh, they're they're terrible. So yeah, and uh, oh, the Vikings. I don't. I thought the Vikings <laughs> might show up and beat the Browns, but that did not happen at all. They're they're rough, um, and. Uh, the best thing that happened in, in the Vikings-Browns game is that the, uh, the the Chubb-Hunt combo rushed for exactly 169 yards against them. So. Oh, and the explicit tag now has to be applied yes. to the uh, to the podcast. That's fantastic. All right, let's roll through the questions let's here. Do it. We'll start with our Patreon questions. As always, if you are a patron, you get question priority. You do. Uh, Matthew Van Hoovelen will kick us off here. Do you have any more optimism or pessimism about Joe Barry now than you did two weeks ago? Honestly, a little optimism. Uh, he, he's been far from incompetent. I mean, it's hard to say too much bad about Joe Barry. Um, most of the problems that have happened for the defense are personnel related, just not having guys healthy. Um, Zedarius being the big one there for most of the season. And um, it's not like they've been schematically really stupid. There's not a lot of like weird three-man drops like we saw under Petten. There's not a lot of weird, dumb non-blitzes at the wrong time and blitzes at the wrong time. Uh, the they seem pretty competent so far, I, and I don't really have too much bad to say about Joe Barry. So, optimism? I'm, huh. You know, you do things long enough and you get enough experience. It's not like you can't turn things around a little bit. You can. I would say my biggest criticism of him um, are all around playing Kevin King over Stokes early. And if he had any personnel say in that decision, I guess I'd rip him a little bit. But I don't think he did. I mean, and Kevin King is a favorite of the organization, not Joe Barry. So... Um, and if he had any say in bringing in Devondre Campbell, which was, I think, a much weirder thing for them to do, um, kudos to him for that. Um, if, for seeing that Oren Brooks might be good in the system, kudos to him for that. Those have worked out really well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we have to we have to be honest about this, and I think Joe Barry's actually done a pretty good job so far. So hopefully that keeps up, and hopefully he has kind of turned his career around a little bit. I feel like it's forcing me to eat a little bit of crow about my my very fervent comments from week one about how the the preseason just w- wasn't something I thought was a was a con- major contributing factor. I mean, you lose to the Saints. That I still think it's true. You lose to yeah. the Saints by that margin of victory. It doesn't matter that you had experience. You were going to lose. However, the way they've played in weeks two, three, four suggests you know maybe the rust actually is something to to be to point to. And and uh, again, there's the counterpoint that like they would take that if it meant being healthy on on week one. They would take one loss. That yeah. would not be a big deal to them, especially in a 17 game season. But it is it is looking like that is that is the outlier. Still just yeah, still just not convinced. <laughs> I don't know. Well, losing Alexander makes me unconvinced all over again. It's it's just Same. hard to believe. And now it'll be hard sometimes. to separate if they do start to struggle. I mean, it's maybe not Joe Barry's fault either. So I hate it when you can't get a good read on a guy, and we might not have that for him this year either. So yeah, who knows. Losing, I mean, they're not going to see their best pass rusher all year. So Darius Smith is probably not coming back. No one thinks he's coming back. So that's tough. PJ Vessels asks, is Cobb better than expected or was that good game planning? I think better than expected. I, I really do. Um, their game plans are almost always good, even when Randall Cobb's not there. But I, I do think the chemistry with him and the still lingering athleticism is just um, showing up for him. I think he works really well with Rodgers and uh, he's he's good. He's a weapon. So yeah, I think it's I think this is all Cobb and uh, you know plus a good game plan, but it's him. Yeah. Doctor Hillbilly asks Matt Lafleur retires from coaching at the end of the season. If you're the new incoming head coach, what assistant coaches do you keep on staff? I hate this coach because of the Joe Barry thing I just said two minutes ago. But um, <laughs> I I 
I would not keep anybody, I don't think. Um, but it's hard uh, hard to say right now. I do think Matt's just a lot of the team and that um, he does so much for the offense himself that I'm not sure I'd necessarily keep anybody around from the offensive staff, um, I w- and, you know, not without a bunch of interviews. And then I don't, on the defense, like, yeah, it's been okay for a couple of weeks, but um, I, want to, I want to see a little bit more, and I would do, be doing my own thing. And I'm not bringing Maury straight and back, so um, I at least right now. So nobody is a whole new staff. Yeah. I think you should always do a whole new staff though. Like uh, having lingering guys, uh, that always is a red flag for me. It's not giving the guy that you're trusting to build the team enough power to actually do what he wants to do. And I don't like meddling from the front office um, on, on, on like actual coaching, like overall philosophy. They can throw down like analytics tidbits and you should be doing this more or whatnot. But in terms of like the actual, style of defense you're running or style of offense you're running like that should be up to the coaches not the front office when they leave a guy there it, it can sometimes lead to a bit of a a, a mess between them and I, like I didn't like when they kept Petten and made made uh, Matt LaFleur keep Petten in the first place I, I think that was yeah. a mistake Alex Lamers asks where does Jair rank on the list of players the Packers can least afford to lose is there a case he's second behind Rodgers I absolutely think there is a case he is second behind Aaron Rodgers yep you can maybe put Devontae but I wouldn't I think he's number two man they've they've covered up for Devontae pretty well when he's been gone exactly and so I think it's Jair like here's and the Kenny thing. Clark last year when Kenny Clark went down they actually didn't really miss a beat yeah he's not initially Kenny's important but you can you can live without getting a pass rush from your your up front if you just put some big bodies there the thing like it's it, Rogers is uh, I think number one. I joked I think earlier that maybe if Jordan loves good, maybe he's not number one. But yeah, he is. He's number one. Um, the thing on defense is you can't hide your guys on defense. On offense, you can. You direct where the ball goes. So if Devonte goes out, you can direct it to the next most efficient targets. That's your choice. Defense is the complete opposite. When Jair goes out, it's not like you can direct guys to throw to Eric Stokes guy. That, like, that's not how this works. The the, uh, the other team gets to pick your worst corner to target, and your worst corner is now, you know, not your third corner, it's your fourth corner, your fifth corner, and that's no good. So, yes, the drop-off from Jair to the next guy up is much, much more severe than just about anybody else. And, yeah, he's super important. It's it's really a shame. I don't even think it's that close, honestly. I mean, we should put on the Steelers. The Steelers attacked him on the first drive and scored a touchdown against Alexander, oddly enough. So <laughs> I did. Uh, I, I do think that pass is not thrown if it's not a free play. Because uh, he had pretty good coverage, he was with him. He almost got a fingertip on it. It's just it was it was a great throw by Ben, and um, it was a, it wasn't a risk because you know right. it was the it was the Rogers play. It was the well, let's shoot for the touchdown, and they just executed on it really well. Cool. Uh, one more from Alex Lamers. Which of the following teams, if any, do you think are legitimately good? The Cowboys, Panthers, or Cardinals? <laughs> These are the NFC teams with the current winning record that did not make the playoffs last year. Uh, Sam Darnold is quarterback of one of them. I am having a hard time with that one, but. Uh, that's a good question. I, I, I personally don't know. I mean, I think the Cardinals unquestionably are legitimately good, but I don't know about the others. I am so torn on this. I, uh, um, and I've had to change opinions a lot. I didn't think Cliff Kingsbury was a very good coach last year. And so that makes me hesitant to believe the Cardinals, but it looks like they've gotten development from Kyler Murray. It looks like they spent an offseason learning how to use Kyler Murray's incredible speed properly. And um, whatever reservations I had about Kingsbury... Um, there's been a lot of creativity in that offense so far this year. It looks di- dynamite. I think that they are legit. I agree with you on that. Um, th- the Panthers' defense, I think, is pretty good. The, and 
uh, it's so hard to say Sam Darnold might be good, but he might be okay. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think, like, even if he's not legit, I think he's good enough to make that team um, a threat. They have really good receivers. Um, and I, I, I'm going to say that they're pretty good. They're not the Bucs. They're like, the Buccaneers are going to win that division. But they're certainly, um, I, I think you can make a good case that they're the second best team in that division. And that's still pretty good, but uh, not Super Bowl contenders or anything like that. And the Cowboys, no, I'm not going with Mike. I'm just not going to do it. They are. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not picking the Cowboys to do anything good, just because I've still I've seen too much Mike, st- old Mike badness. And yep, I like Dak. I do. Um, I, I like a lot of their skill position guys. Not quite so sold on their defense, and they collapse all the time. I'm not picking them. That they, they, they will as soon as I pick them, they'll lose eight games in a row. So not happening. All right. Sounds good. We'll go to our Twitter questions. Ryan Ziegler asks, I know the answer is God, no, but should Green Bay make veteran minimum offers to players like Clay Matthews or Geno Atkins? Does a 12 week rental make any sense? Uh, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> I, I think Clay's washed. I think Geno's pretty washed too. Um, if you wanted to have, I, I mean, here's the thing. I'm okay with having anybody in for a quick peek out on the field to see if they've still got anything left in the tank. Um, I have no problem doing that. Some guys get out of the league and take good care of themselves just waiting for stuff like this to happen and may be able to offer something for a, a quick rental, but I, I don't think it's either of those two, and uh, it, it, I'd have to be really convinced. And, yeah, it's a, it's a problem. It, it is a legit problem, but you're not going to find a pass rusher on the open market in the old guy league that I think is necessarily going to bring you more than Kingsley does, which is – not great, but I think is true. Um, and maybe if you, you can maybe rotate a few of the guys through there. But, uh, uh, you know, you, you never want to stop looking. You want to kick the tires. But uh, Clay, let's not, let's not go there. Clay's done. Clay's, um, <laughs> I got to stop talking about him before I um, commit slander or libel or something. So let's, uh, let's go to the next one. <laughs> All right, Jonathan Deal. Uh, we have a good question here. With current and long-term starters on at least three-fifths, um, with current and long-term starters, this is worded a little weird, on at least three-fifths of the offensive line in Bakhtiari, Jenkins, and Myers, what does the future hold for guys like Royce Newman, Yash Nyman, JRJ, and Billy Turner, who are fighting for their jobs weekly, have cohesion here, but would start on nearly any other team? So essentially, when everybody's healthy, when the two big fellows yeah. come back, you're going to not have playing time anymore for, I guess, at least Royce Newman, John Runyon, I guess. Yeah. Like, I, I don't. Uh, I don't know what happens to those guys. There's going to be starters sitting on the bench. You're not just going to get into the game at any point. Um, so I think this question sort of is asking um, obliquely whether anybody gets traded. Sure. And um, so they have already suffered quite a few injuries on the offensive line. And Bakhtiari may or may not be back um, at some point. Let's yeah, we not... have to embrace the possibility that even if he comes back, he's not right. You yeah. know? And, you know, he's he's banged up. He's been banged up enough with a severe injury that you don't you, you want to keep some depth there. Now, all that said, that's crazy depth. And um, when they do have Elton and Bakhtiari back, they they probably don't need all of those guys. So if they wanted to flip one for a draft pick, I think that would be a complete legit thing to do. So um, and, and uh, honestly, they might run into a roster crunch when they get those guys back. You know, you, there's only so many guys you can keep active. And if they're not active, there's only so many guys you can protect on the oh, practice yeah. squad. So uh, honestly, how it, absurd would it be if John Runyon is just inactive one week? That right. would be ridiculous. It would be ridiculous. It, you might you may experience like a 40-man roster crunch, like what happens in baseball with some regularity and sort of the need to make a trade. 
So um, it's something to keep an eye on. Uh, so here's the thing. Often this early in the season, these things sort themselves out and people get hurt and people get healthy mm-hmm. and they just kind of rotate in and out and just kind of works itself out. But if in the event that they all get healthy at the same time, they might not have a choice. They might actually have to flip a deal. Hmm. Yeah, that's uh, it's one of those. It's always a nice problem to ponder, but you're right. It never works out that it way. It doesn't. Like, and Elton. Two weeks from I, now, I, we might be talking about how they're decimated on the line and need to make a move. Like that kind of thing happens in football sometimes. Yeah. Elton Jenkins being out back to back weeks concerning. Like I don't know when he's coming back. It's not great. Quentin Wetzel asks, assuming Jair isn't out for long, bad assumption. Do you feel better or worse about the defense after four weeks than you did before the season? I mean, much better, right? I, yeah, I, I thought 100%. thought they were a potential disaster. I wasn't sure about um, inside linebacker. I, I, honestly, like, given how injured they've been, they've kind of been good. Like, like phenomenal. I was going to say phenomenal. That's too much. But uh, my worry was that Zadarius and Preston wouldn't bring enough to the table, and they'd struggle overall on defense with King back there um, because they wouldn't get a pass rush. And they haven't had Zadarius. And their pass rush has been okay, but not great. And it still worked. Um, whatever the scheme, I mean, this scheme is better than Patton's scheme. Um, it helps to have inside linebackers who are competent. And um, yeah, I don't, everybody should feel more positive about this. This, Even if it's not like the best defense ever, this is clearly good enough if everybody's healthy. So yeah. that's a positive. It's a big positive. Yeah, for sure. All right, Discord questions. Uh, <laughs> oh, jeez. This first name is uh, is trying to get me in trouble. Last name Drinker. First name N Emma. You can figure it out. With defense and special teams showing flashes of competence alongside consistent head scratching blunders, which unit shows greater potential for improvement, and which will inevitably cost us a playoff game? Special teams going to cost. You <laughs> I think yeah, that's probably it. Um, the special teams are going to be hard to fix. Um, you can't just fix special teams by getting new players. In fact, your players usually get worse over time as injuries start to set in with the starters. And uh, the problems look like coaching problems. So that. Um, the defense could let me, also let them down, but special teams looks bad. Let me ask about special teams because there, there have been multiple coordinators. You know, we're still firing Zook on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> he's a couple guys ago now. <laughs> Uh, at some point, I, I ask myself, why? what is wrong with Green Bay special teams? Why has it been this way? And, and I think one of the answers could be, and I don't know this, one of the answers could be, it's not as bad as you think, that every team has these hiccups, some of these hiccups, and, and there are probably a handful of truly special special teams coordinators. And then there's, you know, everybody else. Maybe, I have no idea. That's just something I'm throwing out there. Other than that, what could the explanation be? Why would this team struggle from coordinator to coordinator to really have a, a, a good special teams package? I think some of this is bad luck and just kind of uh, moving from one severe problem into a new severe problem. The old severe problem was actually Ted Thompson's fault, which was he, he, he relied on just the draft, as we all know. Um, it would sign a phrase once in a while, but... Most of the Packer depth on the good Ted Thompson teams was based on UDFAs and guys that were not on other rosters. And I think they suffered on the talent level on special teams because they didn't overpay for old veterans and, um, you know, guys with some experience um, actually going out there and mashing on special teams. And that that hurt them. But I think they have a new problem now, which is that they are not being coached or practicing well. These don't seem like talent problems. These seem like 
guys not doing not executing properly not being in their lanes like not snapping the ball on time and leaving that on film is is not great it's uh <laughs> Uh, I mean, that that almost block from Crosby last week, I think, contributed directly to the block on Crosby this week. I think they watched it and saw that and saw they could time the snap and saw where to rush guys from and just did it. And it worked. So you should know that's coming. You should self-scout and stop things for, like that from happening. Um, yeah. So uh, I think this is a like an actually schematic problem. Maybe it's a talent problem, too. But um, I, I think merging those two things together have are, are the main cause. Is it possible it's also a roster philosophy issue where you're getting guys that primary, you know, the primary goal is to have them have a position that they can play and maybe their projects or maybe their, but, but the intent is to get them on the field that way. And, and special teams is always, always gets like the third, second, third, fourth string guys, just because, you know, that's where the, the, the talent has to come from. Whereas other teams maybe get some of those veteran guys that, that are a little more skilled on special teams with the intent that they're never going to be right. a starting cornerback or linebacker. These guys are going to be special teams players. Is that maybe something that's at work too? It might be some of it. I do think that was a little more prevalent in older days too, but like um, Isaac Edelm is is that guy. That's He's a veteran special teams cornerback and a good thumper. Sure. So it's not like they're not playing that game at all these days. They definitely There's at least one guy that they brought in to do specifically that. Um, so they, they and now he's a starting cornerback. Now he's a starting cornerback. <laughs> but they, I think they recognize that that's maybe not the best idea and are now having other problems along with it. Yeah. Oh boy, that's secondary. Oh, um, great. Fart McDuty has a question. Oh, Will, why did you leave Matub in the Zoom waiting room? Oh, look, look who is, uh, look who is interfering on the rundown after I had already finished writing all of it. Uh, <laughs> Hi, Matt. Sorry, man. Uh, my name's Matt, but I'm stuck in the Zoom waiting room. Tim Braun <laughs> says, I have a request. Can you guys do a mashup cover image for the Patreon feed for MKE tailgate slash reporting is eligible? When I see the MKE tailgate in the winter, I don't always process that, or I, I don't always process that it's Paul's mini pod preview. So you want like a mashup of the, like that stupid bastardized Bucks Packers Badgers Brewers logo? No. So oh, I think that's exactly what he wants. Yes. So yes. First of all, really quick, if you uh, do not get the mini pods right now because you're not a Patreon subscriber and you'd like to, head on over to uh, patreon.com slash tailgates. And if you join at the ball and glove level, then you get that. You get the minor league preview. You get raffles sometimes, some other junk. You get to hear me sing, unfortunately. Um, but g go ahead and uh, do that. But um, the Patreon's weird. So just so you guys know. Um, we put out the normal podcast on a normal podcast distribution network. It shows up on all your stuff. It looks great. Uh, it uses the logo that I want. And Patreon's primarily designed to raise money. It's good for that. It does a really nice job of it. But they've kind of been slowly um, sort of mending on these other things like, like hosting uh, video and audio. And it's still a little wonky. So um, I actually upload a logo every time I put one of those up, and it just doesn't do anything. <laughs> Literally, there's a spot for it. You put it in there. It looks like the reporting is eligible logo. And then if you put the RSS feed into your machine, it does yeah. nothing. So You know, um, we have trouble with the with the Bucks podcast. We had we got a new logo for when we changed it from the Milwaukee Bucks podcast to the Point Forward podcast, the Journal Sentinel one. And it was fine. It uploaded into Apple Podcasts just fine. And then something changed with the Apple podcast. You might remember that a little while ago, they did some sort of update. And oh, now yeah. the logo has reverted to a previous logo Weird. and we cannot fix it. We've tried it. It's still showing up as the new logo in 
Spotify and other places, but huh. on Apple Podcasts, it has reverted to the previous logo, which is not a bad logo. It's fine. It's just we rebranded. So <laughs> whatever. Like we at some point you just surrender. It's well, like, I whatever. It's, I don't not, think, it's not our software. Yeah, what are you gonna do? You can't. I don't think too many people listen on Apple Podcasts anyway, so it's all good. Not anymore. I'm, I do. I, do still, I was. I was kidding. I, Most people do. Oh, okay, okay. Yes. But uh, Spotify is gaining a ton of ground. They are a ton of ground. So maybe, uh, maybe we are moving away from it eventually. I, yeah, I definitely still listen on Apple Podcasts. Um, Jerry Eldred, uh, with the last Discord question, last question of the night. Yes. So far, this team looks a lot like the mid 2010s teams, where they handily beat most of their opponents, but still look weirdly sloppy doing it. Is this an accurate comp, or are they actually good? And I'm just a jaded dweeb. I don't think it is. So I, I get what you're saying. And I remember that from the 2010 season very well, where it looked like they could be dominant if they would just put it all together. And then when playoffs rolled around, they were. Um, I think this is a little bit different. I think part of it is built in um, the injuries that they have. So maybe that is a little similar. But I hate the pace they're running at. They've always been slow. And the, the Shanahan LaFleur offense is also slow. Aaron makes it even slower by taking the clock down all the time. But I think that has actually made everything seem closer than it was and slower than it was. It's not as exciting when Aaron's just waiting for 35 seconds to snap the ball every single play. It's very annoying. So um, I think that has a lot to do with why it appears to be sloppy. They're actually, their efficiency is pretty good. They actually score on a lot of their drives, but they have way fewer drives than most other teams do. So um, I, I think when they get healthy, they might start to look more like juggernauts if they get healthy. Um, and you might see that, and that this cop might be more apt. But I do think part of the sloppiness is actually slowness, and that makes them a little boring. Uh, so is what it is. Hopefully they address that. It's always driven me crazy. I think they're not going to get healthy. Uh, I think that's asking too much, because now you've got Jair potentially. Even, even if Jair is back six weeks from now, for those six weeks, they're going to be missing Zedarius Smith and Jair Alexander all by themselves and David Bakhtiari for most of those. That's pretty unhealthy. You know, that's pretty unhealthy. It is. And even if Elton Jenkins comes back and maybe and Preston's fine. And even if even if you get Jair, I, I just, uh, you know, well, six, ball's already rolling. Ball's already rolling. Six, six, seven weeks down the line, if they get Elton back and Bakhtiari back and MVS back, then yeah. I think with Cobb, that offense can really be something special. So yeah. that would be the scenario there, I think, where they maybe kick it into another gear. Their buy is in December. That's insane. It is insane. It's pro- it's a function of the new schedule, the 17-week schedule, but like December 4th or something, that's the buy. So like they get no relief at any po- point. There'll be, I'm sure, a mini buy in there. I don't quite remember when the Thursday night game is, but um, it's be- Ugh, it's ugly. Yeah, that is not good. All right. Well, uh, at least the Bengals are a beatable team, even banged up. Not to say they'll win, but could be worse. There are worse teams worse. that they could be playing right now, and fortunately they're not. I will say this. I will feel tremendous about this team if they go into Cincinnati and win. And not that Cincinnati is a world beater, but that is a team that I think right now should beat the Packers, yeah. just based on where the Packers are. And if, if, if they go and win that game, they get the Bears after that, they're going to beat the Bears. So now we're talking about a five and one team. Yes. I'm just assuming they beat the bears. That's completely <laughs> unsafe, but let's just do it. Let's just get nuts. So we're talking about a five and one team and, and, you know, you've still got, uh, I think a schedule that is, it, it's not maybe as fearsome as it looked to me at the beginning of the year. I mean, there's still some, some, a lot of playoff teams on it. So that's a problem, but like now I'm starting to think this is a, this is a team that's going to compete to get back to that NFC championship game for yeah. sure. They might. They uh, they play Washington after the Bears, and then they have a run of very difficult teams. 
So that yeah. I think that's where health will really start to impact them, starting with the Cardinals. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, they if they stack up these wins here and take care of business, I, I also like their chances to to be in it later and get get right just in time. So yeah, with you on that. All right, before we go, Jr. Any plugs at the JS? Yeah, so it's Brewers Week, baby. Yes, indeed oh it gosh, is. is it Brewers Week? You know, there's a really good story that I did not write. Uh, Tom Hodgercourt wrote it. I believe it's live. Uh, it should be live as we speak for sure. Um, about Bill Bartholomew. He was the he was the guy who bought the Milwaukee Braves. Of course, the Atlanta Braves and the Brewers are about to meet in the playoffs starting on Friday. Bill Bartholomew bought the Milwaukee Braves from Lou Perini in 1962, and most people feel that he had the intent of moving it to Atlanta right away. And even if he didn't, he definitely was ready to move him to Atlanta within a couple of years. Some litigation was involved, but it didn't happen until after the 65 season, but it was clearly that was what was headed. Bill Bartholomew became public enemy number one in Milwaukee, hated, a hated, hated man. Um, he moves them to Atlanta, eventually sells that team then to Ted Turner. But after kind of after that went down, Bud Selig, who's basically sued him, sued, sued to bring the team back to Milwaukee from Atlanta and try to, you know, stop the, stop the sale, that sort of thing. Bud Selig and Bill Bartholomew actually became really good friends and had a kind of a lifelong friendship. Uh, Bill Bartholomew just passed away during COVID in 2020 oh. uh, in his early 90s, 91, I want to say. So he and, and Bud Selig have been have been friends for decades. And I find it fascinating, you know, like these it should be it should be this thing that, you know, is, is sort of the drove a stake through the heart of Bud Selig, who was a minority owner for the Braves and obviously is the is the guy who brought baseball back. But uh, just a really, really interesting note from history um it's again written by tom hodricourt so check that out if you get a chance i also uh, i've got something coming up here soon just the braves history milwaukee braves obviously this is a, a series of, of connections between the past and the present of uh, milwaukee baseball uh, i've got a few other things plays of the year i think should be live by wednesday morning um you know just the, just the, uh, there's just going to be a ton of brewers content so check that out at jsonline.com we'll obviously still have the packers content bucks preseason just kicked in oh yeah um actually tonight the i think game, they're playing right now right they were for three quarters and then there was a fire alarm in memphis and they cleared out the building and they weren't able to finish the game oh wow okay yeah dude so basketball season off to a ringing start <laughs> ringing literally and uh that so i mean obviously a great time to get a js online subscription if you're a badgers fan i'm sorry maybe you're also a fan of other things um i'll be doing the live blogs from the brewer game on uh on Friday and Saturday from American Family Field. So uh, that'll be my first Brewers games that I've attended to cover since 2019. Since the wildcard game. I actually went to Washington and covered the wildcard game and have not been back covering baseball since then. So that's going to be it's going to be kind of fun. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a good week, a great week of sports. Nice. Can't wait for the weekend. Very much look, looking forward to all the baseball. Um, I have a piece up at the Shepherd Express previewing this game, recapping the last one. I'm going to be writing about quarterback aging um, a little bit later this week just showing how possible it is that Aaron is good for you know the foreseeable future and uh, looking at the, the league's about to get a lot younger younger than it's been for about 15 years um, once Ben is gone especially then it's sort of all 20 year olds and Stafford Wilson Dalton and Rogers and that's kind of it um, hmm. but it's an interesting mix right now there's a, a, a big bell curve on um, ages every 20 years or so where, where you get a, a bunch of old guard that retire and then everybody gets young and then they get old again and um it's very um inconsistent it's, it's either a young league or an old league and usually not nothing in between never a bunch of average so um 
keep an eye out for that. I was on the Milwaukee Tailgate podcast. Um, it came out uh, this morning. Go check that out if you want to see Ryan destroy his baseball. Um, go listen to that, too, for details on how to do that. And uh, hopefully we'll get that done before the games actually start to end the curse. So um, we'll leave you with that. Do enjoy the Bengals game this weekend. We'll be back for Bears week next week, my favorite week of the year. Um, It is so fun to talk about how much they suck. And uh, we will be back next week. So enjoy the game.